Last week, we talked about separation anxiety, about that angst that we have inside when Jesus is knocking at the door. And that really, it was to our advantage that Jesus went away, that he went to heaven so that we could recognize our need of him to live in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you have a powerful week this week asking for God to increase that hunger, asking for his Holy Spirit to fill you? There's nothing so satisfying as the presence and love of Jesus in our hearts. I long for more of that presence, and I long for that as we begin this morning with a word of prayer. Uh, I'm going to start with prayer. Father in heaven, we need to hear from you. Lord, it's a, a waste of our time to be here and just hear human wisdom. We want to hear your voice. We want to have a real experience with you. We want to be transformed by you. Lord, it's, it's Memorial Day weekend and we remember the lives that have given, been given for our freedom. We can't help but think of the life that was given so that we could be free eternally. We ask that you would sink that reality into our hearts more deeply than ever before. And that we would live in light of the cross. Lord, transform our hearts as we look at your word. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. How many of you have ever been to Arlington National Cemetery? A few of you. It's an amazing thing to go to Arlington National Cemetery and to see all those tombstones. There's a picture of it here. Just line after line of these tombstones. 400,000 people have been buried in Arlington Cemetery. And that's just hard to fathom. 400,000 people who have died for your and my freedom. And that's just scratching the surface of it. Uh, you go around Washington, D.C., and you'll find all, all different kinds of war memorials with listings of names and people who have given the ultimate sacrifice, who have been willing to pay the price of their life, willing to lay down their life, as John read from John fifteen thirteen. No greater love has any man than this, to lay down their life for a friend. It's incredible to think about the ultimate sacrifice that so many have paid. The Korean War Memorial says this on it, freedom is not free. Freedom costs something. And as you go up to that black wall and you see the names that are written there, and you, imagine if you saw somebody there that you knew. And you know that that person died so that you and I could be here worshiping together this Sabbath in total freedom. Sometimes we take it for granted, recognizing that somebody died to set us free. You know, the Bible tells us about an even more important memorial. It tells us about somebody that has died to set us free eternally. There's nothing like the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I'd like to invite you to go in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4. You know, when you go to visit one of these memorials, if you don't know somebody whose name is written there, if it's not personal to you, you might not be crying. But then you see some people who, as they go past it, there's something special to them. There's those World War II veterans who have been flown recently to go and visit the memorials in Washington, D.C. And as they look at those memorials, you can only imagine what goes on in their minds 
recognizing that their comrades died. They knew the people that are listed there. They, they knew them as personal friends. I take comfort in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, thinking about people like that. Verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God promises comfort to those who mourn. Blessed, it says, are those who mourn. The word blessed there is makarioi, which basically is like to be happy, to be blessed, to have God's favor. Happy are those who mourn. That's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? It's, it's kind of the opposite of what you would expect. Happy are those who mourn. How is that possible? How is it possible that those who mourn can be happy? Because they shall be comforted. Last week we talked about John chapter 16 and how Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone, but it's to your advantage that I go away. As I, if I didn't go away, then the helper, the comforter would not come to you. The verb here for comforted is the exact same verb that, that is used for helper, paraclete. This is parakaleo, one who is called alongside to help. It is the paraclete, the Holy Spirit who comes and who comforts us. And, but this Holy Spirit, it's, Jesus says, comes when we mourn. Seems kind of different than what you would expect. Now, what does mourning have to do with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? How is it that, that the Holy Spirit comes in a powerful way when we mourn? Go with me to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah, a book in the Old Testament that you might not have visited recently. It's a powerful book, a lot of symbolism, a lot of different visions that Zechariah saw in there, a lot of exciting things that need to be studied more deeply. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10 is an incredible promise that I love to claim. I love to claim it for our church here in Templeton. I love to claim it for our world church. Be praying for our church as we come to GC session this summer where all people come from all around the world to make important decisions about how our work's going to move forward. We need a lot of prayer for that. Zechariah 12 and verse 10 says, I will pour out on the house of David. Who would that be? The house of David. If you were in Israel, the house of David would be the king's household. This would be the leaders in Israel. I will pour out on the leaders of God's people and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Who would that be? That's the general group of God's people. I will pour out on all of God's people the spirit of what? Grace and of supplication. I'm going to pour out the spirit of grace, unmerited favor. I'm going to pour this out on them. And I'm also going to pour out the spirit of supplication to give them earnestness in prayer. Spirit of grace and of supplication. And then look at what happens when this spirit comes. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. When the Spirit comes, it comes and it, it points us to Jesus. It reminds us of, of Jesus. That's what Jesus said in, in John chapter 16, that, that it would bring to our remembrance all things which He has taught us. The Spirit points us to Jesus, but it points to Jesus in a very specific way. It points to us in a way that leads us, according to Zechariah 12 verse 10, to mourn. Now that's kind of an odd thing. How is that to our advantage? Going back to John chapter 16, 
Jesus said in John 16 that in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So it's to your advantage. It's a great thing. It's I'm leaving, but I'm sending my personal presence to you. But watch it what it, the very next verse says that Sam read for us. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin. Wait a second, Jesus. This is to my advantage that, that when the Holy Spirit comes, this helper, this comforter, how are you bringing me comfort if you're coming to convict me of sin? How is it helping me out? I, I want the Holy Spirit to be poured out, but the Holy Spirit's going to come and convict me of, of sin in my life? How is that helpful? In 2010, I went to Andrews University, and I got to go with one of my best friends, Godfrey Miranda, who's a pastor in Modesto. Well, it was a week or two into our time in the classes there, and I don't remember where we were, but that day, it was a warmer day, and I think he was either had his sleeves rolled up or he was wearing a short sleeve shirt, and I looked and I saw on his arm a scar. And as I looked at that scar, suddenly a memory hit me. It was a memory from five years before that. Five years before that, I uh, was on a, a youth evangelism team working with Godfrey. Godfrey was the leader of the team. We'd gone on a mission trip to Mississippi. It was an amazing trip. We went out there to help with Hurricane Katrina. We were rebuilding some houses there. We were working on a roof of a house. Well, one afternoon, we decided that we were going to get together and have a friendly game of football. And we were playing in the church parking lot. It was an asphalt parking lot like we have here. As we played in the parking lot, things began to get more and more intense. And, and we were just working our hardest to win the game and became, began to get a little bit more competitive than it should have gotten. And at one point, Godfrey got the ball. He caught a pass and he was headed towards my side of the, of the field or the parking lot. And as he got towards the sidelines, he was trying to tiptoe past me on the sidelines as fast as he can. And he's a fast guy. And I said, I'm not letting him get past me. And as I got towards him, I pushed as hard as I could. And I reached out and I hit him. But I hit him a little too hard for being tiptoeing down the sidelines. And Godfrey went tumbling on the asphalt. And when he got up, he was holding his arm. And his arm was all bloody. He had this wound in his arm. And you know, at that point, I felt really bad. I said, oh, I'm sorry, Godfrey. I let the game get away from me, and I, I shouldn't have pushed you that hard. I'm so sorry. And I, I felt really bad at that point. But imagine now, five years later, at Andrews University, as I'm sitting there in the classroom, and I look at his arm. His arm doesn't have any scars on it except for one. A scar that's there because of a football game. A scar that I caused. They will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn. You know, as I think about the cross, so often I'm so thankful. I'm filled with joy at what Jesus did to take away my sin. But so often I forget that I am the one that put him there. I am responsible. I am the one who pierced Jesus. He was crushed for my iniquities. He was pierced for my transgressions. The choices that I've made in my life, the, the way that I have chosen to go and rebel and, and go my own way and, and to shake my fist at God by saying, I don't need your way. 
Jesus took all of that. He took it at the cross for me. You know, it's an amazing thing to see what Jesus did. Just to read in the Garden of Gethsemane as he pondered that cup of sin, to realize that he was drinking in all of what I am responsible for. He was taking my penalty on himself. And as he began to take that cup, it began to tremble in his hands and he began to say, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And we're told that an angel came down from heaven in, in Luke and that angel pointed him up to the stars, the stars which were promised to Abraham as, as a, a many descendants were promised to Abraham. And, and one of those descendants, I believe, was me. One of those descendants was you. And as Jesus realized why he was making this sacrifice, as he thought about you, he said, I'm willing to go through with that just so that they could have eternal life. That I'm willing to take that penalty on myself. I'm willing to go through the pain, the agony, so that they can live forever. You know, Jesus could have died at that point in the Garden of Gethsemane, all alone by himself in the dark. He was crushed by sin. He fell to the ground, nearly dying, sweating blood. But that wasn't enough for God. God wanted to catch our attention in a way that we would never forget. And God allowed Jesus to go through something that would be totally unforgettable for us. A memorial that that would grasp our attention throughout eternity. He said, I'm going to let Jesus go on and to go all the way to the cross. To be nailed to a tree and the whole time to be, like we talked about last night, to be representing that unselfish love of saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They don't realize what they're doing. They don't understand. Please forgive them. That incredible heart of love that, that's beyond anything I can grasp. And we talked about last night just how seeing that kind of love should give me a desperation for the Spirit of God to live in my heart. Because I recognize that I don't have that kind of love. That kind of love is, is foreign to me. But to see the cross, and it was there at the, the time when there were the most possible people in Jerusalem to grab the, the most attention possible. It was the, the most shameful way to be put to death. Today, when we look at a cross, we think of, of a cross as this beautiful symbol of Christianity. We think of it as this amazing thing that we can put on our wall. Or it, The cross was a terrible thing. The cross was a shameful thing. The cross was there to shame every bit of humanity out of a person possible. And God said, I want my love to be displayed so radically that nobody will ever forget it. But not only that, the cross shows us how incredibly terrible sin is. Because I deserved that kind of death. I chose to rebel against God. I chose to be separated from the source of life. I chose to go against God. I deserve the death that he died. But Jesus said, I'm taking Zach's place. I'm taking your place so that you can live with me forever. That's what the cross is all about. And so when the Holy Spirit comes in verse John chapter 16 and verse 8, it says, And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin 
and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. We live in a world that doesn't recognize the wretchedness of sin, that embraces sin. Sin's a part of our culture. We, we don't look to the Bible anymore to find out how we should have our government run, how our, our, our society should, should go. We don't think about what God has given us. We don't think about this in our lives today. We need the reminder. We need the Holy Spirit to come and to convict the world of sin. Now, sin is in the past, right? These are things that we have already committed. The Spirit comes to convict us of sin, but not only of sin. Verse 10 continues, and of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. You know, if Jesus hadn't have come, if Jesus hadn't have walked the walk that he walked, you and I wouldn't know the possibilities of our lives. You, you look at how confused they were in the days of Jesus. You had the Pharisees who thought that they were righteous, that they were living a good life, and, and they were really wretched inside. They were mistreating people. They, Jesus came to show us what true righteousness looks like. He came to show us the way in which we can walk and really loving each other, really showing genuine, unselfish care for other people. And the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin in the past, of righteousness, how we can live our lives today in a way that will make a difference in the world around us. But not only of sin, not only of righteousness, but also of judgment, verse 11 continues. Of judgment? How has this helped to me? The the, the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit convicts me of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. It's interesting that in Revelation 3 that we looked at last week where Jesus is knocking at the door of our hearts, that it says, those whom I love, I rebuke. You remember that part? I chasten and I rebuke. That word rebuke is the exact same word for to convict. How does the Holy Spirit come? He comes and he convicts. He rebukes us. He, he helps us to see that sin is hurtful. Isaiah 59 and verse 2 tells us that sin separates us from God. It's your iniquities that have made a separation between you and your God. That's what creates this separation anxiety is the fact that I've chosen to separate myself from God. I've chosen to separate myself from this, the source of love, the source of joy, the source of peace. I've chosen to go in my own way and it's miserable. That's what the testimony of the Laodiceans was, right? You're miserable. You're wretched. You're blind. You don't recognize that you're missing out on the joy, the fullness of joy that comes from being in my presence. So the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin because sin separates us from God. It comes to convict us of righteousness because in having Christ's righteousness, in living a life following in Jesus' footsteps, John 2 verse, 1 John 2 verse 6 says, those who say that they abide in me, in, in him should walk as he walked. Jesus came to give us this example so that we can walk and we can have what he promised in John 15. He said, I've said these things that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. I want that. I have to confess that there are times that my joy isn't full. But this is the promise of Jesus that he wants me to have fullness of joy. Why is it that I don't have joy? 
It's that separation that comes in. It's that separation anxiety because sin comes in. And it separates me from God. I, I choose to go in my own way. And so when I look to the cross, I recognize that I need Jesus. I need His presence and I need His forgiveness. It convicts me that I need to, to walk in a different way. I need to, to walk in righteousness. But not only that, it convicts me of judgment. As it goes on to say in verse 11, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit convicts me that there is a coming judgment. It was at the cross that was displayed like never before the true character of Satan. The cross revealed to the watching universe. Before the cross, people in the watching universe didn't really understand how terrible sin was. But when I look at the cross, can you imagine being one of the disciples and, and standing there on that hillside and looking and seeing your very best friend, the one who for three and a half years you had walked in his footsteps. You had any problem you had had, Jesus had been able to take care of it. Jesus was the one who could heal your sick mom like Peter experienced. Jesus was the one who would forgive you when you made a mistake. Jesus was the one who you lived with day in and day out. And there is Jesus being crucified on that cross. Imagine the heartbreak of seeing that. But how much more to know that my sin is what put Jesus on that cross come to realize that I don't hate sin like I should. You know, with my friend Godfrey, I wish that I could take back that moment when I pushed him too hard and he met the asphalt at a, a too r- rapid of a speed. <laughs> I wish that, that I could take that moment back and, and believe me that when it comes to playing football with Godfrey again, I'm not about to push him hard. Because I don't want him to go through that pain again. But at the same time, when it's in my life, and I know there are things that I know separate me from God. I know that they hurt the heart of Jesus. I know that my transgressions crush Jesus. And yet, sometimes I don't really care that much. Sometimes I just go on and I, I do the little things. I, I sell Jesus so cheaply. Like Judas being willing to, to sell Jesus for just 30 pieces of silver. It's, it's for the small things in life that I'm not willing to surrender to him. And it hurts Jesus. It hurts my best friend. And I don't want to do it anymore. The Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It leads us to mourn. It leads us to look at the one whom we have pierced. And to mourn. And it's in that mourning, in that repentance, that we are blessed. That we're filled with joy because all we have to do is come to Him and confess our sins and He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because then we can follow Christ, having been washed by His blood. We can remember that memorial and Jesus will continue to fill us with joy day by day. In Acts chapter 3, Peter preaches a sermon that would have been hard to take if you were one of the Jews. In Acts chapter 3, this is Peter's second sermon. 
And he's speaking to the, the Jews after he's healed a, a blind uh, a man who was lame. This man, after he was, was healed, he went with such rejoicing that people began to gather around to see who it was that had worked this miracle. And Peter says, why are you looking at us like we did this incredible thing? It was through the name of Jesus that this took place. But then he says something incredible. Something that would have been really hard to take if you were in that audience. He says, but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. You know, it's one thing to go and look at a war memorial and to think about how we have freedom because of them and what they've done for us. But it's another thing if you were to go to that war memorial and to realize that you had been the one that killed those people. Imagine as Peter preaches a sermon, he says, you put the Son of God to death. Verse 16, and in his name, through faith in his name, has made the man, this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. He goes on to talk a little bit more about that. And then in verse 19, he says this, having been convicted, having realized that they were the ones that put Jesus there, that they were the ones that put Jesus on the cross, he says this, repent therefore and be converted and your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent. The Spirit comes to convict us of what? Of sin. Repentance is for sin. Peter says, the answer to your problem, having recognized that morning that I was the one that put Jesus to death, repent of your sins and be converted, be transformed into living a righteous life, to following Jesus in a righteous way. Be converted through the power of the Holy Spirit. Be converted and have your sins blotted out. We're living in the time of judgment. We're living in a time when Jesus is in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary and Jesus wants to take our sins before the Father and to put his blood in our place. He wants to wipe out every sin from my life. He wants to blot it out. He wants that record purged from my life. And he wants to lead me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Repent, therefore, and be converted, the Spirit convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from where? The presence of the Lord. Jesus wants to be reunited with us. He wants for that separation anxiety to be done away. He wants for the memorial of the cross to lead us to our knees to seek a deeper filling of the Spirit. The Spirit comes in the first place and leads us to the point of mourning. It leads us to repentance. But that mourning leads us to desire more of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to desire to be filled more fully, to desire to be reconnected with our very best friend. And as we plead for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it says that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. As Jesus comes to us, as the presence of God comes to us, we'll be refreshed. That verb in the Greek is anapsuxis, which it says this in the, in the um, Luo and Nita uh, Greek uh, commentary. It says, a state of cheer and encouragement after a period of having been troubled or upset. 
Have you felt troubled or upset this week? Refreshing, encouragement, a recovery of happiness. I need that in my life. I need times of refreshing. And those times of refreshing come as I go to the cross, as I go to the foot of the cross. And as I see the cross, I see what Jesus has done for me. It leads me to mourn. It leads me to deep, genuine repentance. A repentance that isn't just a covering for sin, but a repentance that leads me to turn away from my sin. To say, I don't want any more of what put Jesus on the cross. I don't want to have that a part of my life anymore. I'm tired of hurting my very best friend. I want for my very best friend to come in and to be who he promised that he would be. In Matthew chapter 1, the angels come and they say, his name shall be called Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He wants us out of that world of hurt, that pain that comes from sin. The thief has come to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. It's as we go to the cross, it's as we mourn for having pierced Jesus, that we're filled with the desire to turn from our sin and to be filled with the loving presence of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you, go to the cross Go to the cross, not just once in a while. Go there every day. Go to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I recognize here a memorial that shows me that sin kills, that sin is wretched, that sin is what is making my life so miserable. And Jesus, I want refreshing today. Go to the cross in repentance. Accept the free cleansing blood of Jesus, which washes away your sins. And then ask Jesus, lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Maybe some of you have never gone to the cross before. If you've never given your life to Jesus, there's no time like today. Say, Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. That's the first step, and it's the simplest thing that you can do, and yet it is the most freeing thing, it is the most powerful thing to accept Jesus into your life. But some of us, we get so familiar with the cross. Maybe it's like we've driven past that memorial in, in Modesto that on my way to work every day, there was this peace officer's memorial. And at first, the first few times I, I drove past it, I would think, wow, there was this guy who was bent down in front of it and you could tell there was obvious uh, tears in his eyes in this statue. And I thought, wow, this is, must be the police officers that have died in Modesto. And it, it, it struck me the first few times. But as I kept going past it day in and day out, pretty soon I, I began to not really think much about that anymore. It really didn't mean that much to me anymore. And a lot of days I didn't even notice it. I was just going past. I found it's the same way with the cross. Somehow it becomes less important to me. Somehow I, I lose the power of the cross. I love what it says in the book Gospel Workers, 1892, page 246. It says this, it would be well to spend a thoughtful hour each day reviewing the life of Christ from the manger to Calvary. 
We should take it point by point and let the imagination vividly grasp each scene, especially the closing ones of his earthly life. It would be well, it would be beneficial, it would make our lives better if we took the time to thoughtfully think about our best friend Jesus. Especially the closing scenes, especially the cross. By thus contemplating his teachings and sufferings and the infinite sacrifice made by him for the redemption of the race, we may strengthen our faith and quicken our love and become more deeply imbued with the Spirit which sustained our Savior. Do you want the love of Jesus in your heart? Do you want to be filled with the Spirit? The more time you spend at the foot of the cross, contemplating the life of Jesus, contemplating what He's done for you, the more that you allow Him to convict you of sin, to say, I don't want anymore what put Him on that cross. I don't want to glorify the things that put Him on the cross. So often, I've been entertained by the things that He died to save me from. I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart to think about the things that I've laughed at on TV, the things that I've watched on YouTube, the things on Facebook, even the news I've come to realize. So much of it is focused on glorifying the very things that Jesus died to save me from. And yet I spend more time focused on the victories of the enemy than I do on the victory of Jesus. But if I want victory, if I want Jesus, if I want times of refreshing, then I need to go to the foot of the cross. I need to spend more time at the foot of the cross than I do with the stuff of the world that is dragging me down. I need to let Jesus cleanse me from all that stuff. The quote goes on to say this, If we would be saved at last, we must learn the lesson of penitence and faith at the foot of the cross. Everything noble, And generous in man will respond to the contemplation of Christ upon the cross. Everything noble, everything inside of us that is good responds to seeing Jesus in that memorial on the cross. And it's by looking that we live. It's by remembering that memorial that we're led to mourn for our sins. And we're led to a deeper desire for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Repent. And be converted so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you want to go to the cross every day? I've realized in my own life, I need to refresh this experience. Sometimes I've gotten to the point where I'm tired of reading this every day about the cross. I don't know what it's going to look like exactly for you. But I want to challenge you to go to the cross every morning. I want to challenge you, it would be well if we took a thoughtful hour to contemplate the scenes of the life of Christ, to fall in love with Jesus afresh each and every morning as we come to the foot of the cross. Take time to ponder what Jesus has done for you each and every day, and it will awaken in you a desire for more. It will give you a desire for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and when we receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we're going to have that fullness of joy that comes from the presence of Jesus, your very best friend. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we long to be led to the foot of the cross. We long to no longer participate in, no longer be entertained by, no longer rejoice in the stuff that put you on the cross. We want a new heart. A God of ourselves, we can't do it anything right our righteousness is just like filthy rags 
Lord, as we look to the cross, may we be transformed in looking. May we be filled with an intense desire to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Please come. Please fill each and every one of us and transform our lives as we survey the wondrous cross. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.